Good morning. It's nice to be with you this morning. Let me pray for us, and uh, then we'll open God's Word together. Would you bow your heads as I pray? Lord Jesus, you are the mighty warrior. You have overcome Satan, sin, and death. You have rescued us from the miry pit. You have set our feet upon a rock. Lord Jesus, when we were your enemies and had turned and walked away from you, you pursued us. Uh, Your love overpowered us. God, in your faithfulness, our faithlessness is swallowed up. Who are we, Lord, that you are mindful of us? Who are we that you, the creator of the world, the redeemer of all mankind, should choose to call us by name? That you know us, you know the number of hairs on our head, you know every hurt and pain and joy and wonderful success we've experienced. Lord, you are the author of life. And Jesus, you choose to pay attention to us. That each and every one of us right here, right now, the apple of your eye, that your focus is on us, that the love you have for us is beyond comprehension. I pray today, Lord Jesus, as we open your word, that we might hear your voice. Yes, Lord, we will open a book that was written thousands of years ago, but it's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and that through it you speak to us today. And so today, Lord, please, Show your power. We cannot see you visibly, but in our hearts we can hear your voice. Speak to us today that we might know that you are the risen one and that you are calling to us to come follow you. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Today we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in which Jesus calls 12 disciples or apostles out from the crowds to come and follow him. Now many people are familiar with the 12 apostles, with this idea that there were 12 men that Jesus in particular called to come and follow him. And this morning as we hear the list of their names, it would have been nice if we had a picture of them. It's always good to put a a face with a name It would have been nice if someone had invented a camera and taken a picture. We don't have that. Uh, But what we do have is we have some paintings. We have some paintings. uh, One in particular that I think is quite powerful. It's very famous. It's by a man named uh, Leonardo da Vinci. And it's a painting of these 12 men along with Jesus known as the Last Supper. Now, of course, this isn't really what those 12 people look like, but it at least allows us uh, to put a face with a name. And the reason why I like this painting is that what da Vinci has done is he has painted each of the 12 apostles with personality. And the personality that he's given them seems to reflect much of what we read about them In the scriptures. Now, the scene that we have for us is the Last Supper, and da Vinci has picked a very important moment in which to paint. And the moment that he's capturing is the moment that Jesus tells the disciples that one of them is going to betray him. I think this is a really fascinating moment 
He's trying to catch their sort of surprise at this news. And in their surprise and their reaction to the idea that one of them, one of them that's been called by Jesus, one of them that Jesus is going to give his life for, one of them is actually going to turn around and betray Jesus, this moment allows da Vinci the opportunity to paint emotions into their faces. Now, for those of you who are all the way on the sides, the painting is wide. If you can't quite see some of the faces, if you're like, well, I only see 10 people, it is on the back back here on this screen, and you can see it there as well. And what I'd like to do is I would just like to walk through these 12 men to give you an idea that these are real people uh, that Jesus called to come and follow him. The first person that we have here on our painting from Da Vinci is a man named Bartholomew. You might know him better by his other name, which is Nathaniel. And Nathaniel, we have a powerful story about Nathaniel. When he first hears that Jesus is the Messiah, a man named Philip, who's, uh, you see that green dot? He's, that's Philip over there. Philip comes and tells Nathaniel, we found the Messiah. It's Jesus of Nazareth. Bartholomew, or Nathaniel's response is, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And what we find out about Nathaniel is he is well-versed in the Old Testament Scriptures, and he's the thinker. You can kind of tell that he's got sort of an intellectual look on his face, and you can almost see the wheels turning in his brain as he's trying to process someone betraying the Messiah. How can that be? This is supposed to be the king of Israel. And you can see that with Bartholomew, the thinker, he's trying to process this. Someone is going to betray Jesus. Well, next to Bartholomew, we have James, son of Alphaeus. We don't know very much about James, son of Alphaeus. We're just not told much about him. It is possible that Matthew over here, uh, that's Matthew. Matthew is also described as a son of Alphaeus. Now, there's more than one person named Alphaeus, so it's possible that these two are not related. It's also possible that they're brothers. Uh, so James, son of Alphaeus, next in order is Andrew. Now, Andrew, we know for sure, has a brother, and his brother right there, Peter. And if you look, da Vinci has painted them as if they're brothers, which is very helpful. They have a familial resemblance. Andrew, we already met earlier in the Gospel of Mark. He, along with Peter, James and Don, are fishermen. And Jesus came along while they were fishing and called them out from being fishermen uh, to come and follow him. And Andrew was willing to leave behind his nets to follow Jesus. It's also interesting, he's painted An uh, Andrew and Peter as being older. And that's probably accurate. They're probably uh, the oldest members of this group of 12, uh, older than some others here. And I love the fact that in the painting, you have some younger people and you have some older people, which is a reflection of reality. Next to Andrew, you have Judas Iscariot. If he's hard to see, it's because da Vinci painted it that way. So his face is covered in shadow. He is the one who will betray Jesus. And the idea here is, is that he's sort of hiding his face. He knows he's going to do it. Jesus knows he's going to do it. No one else does. 
Da Vinci has also painted him, interestingly, if you have kind of a line of their faces. Judas is the lowest one. His face is lower on the painting, and Da Vinci again is painting in the sort of darkness that goes with Judas. It may be hard to see, but right here, he's got a bag of money in his hand. This represents not only the fact that he was the treasurer for the group, but it also probably represents that he's going to sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. So later that evening, he's going to go out and the price to betray Jesus, 30 pieces of silver, which the Old Testament says, that's how little they valued me. Is that when it was time, Judas thought 30 pieces of silver is worth selling the one who came to die so that he could have life. Next to Judas, we have Peter. Peter probably actually in the painting is sitting next to Andrew, um, but he's leaning over. And the reason he's leaning over is da Vinci is reflecting something that's true from the scriptures, but also showing us something about Peter's personality. We're told that immediately after Jesus says, so one of you is going to betray me, we see Peter lean over to John, who's sitting next to him, we'll get to him in a second, and ask him, hey, ask Jesus who it is. And that reflects Peter's personality. You can also, if you can see, right down here, Peter has a knife in his hands. That's meant to reflect that later that evening in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter's going to take a sword, and he's going to try to actually kill someone by hitting him in the head, but he's not a very good shot, so he hits the ear, and he cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant trying to defend Jesus by force. Jesus says, look, if I wanted to def be defended by force, I got more than enough angels to pull this off. I don't need your help. I'm here to drink the cup the Father has given me to drink. But Peter, you have a man of action. You have a man who takes charge, and so immediately, he's got a knife in his hand. He's going to take action in the garden. He's leaning over and asking John because he's not going to sit around and wait to see what happens. He's a man of action. Now, his real name is Simon, and he's nicknamed Peter, he's given the name Peter, uh, which means the rock. Next to Peter is John. If John looks like a little boy compared to the rest of them, that's because we do believe that John is the youngest apostle. John also has a brother in the picture. It's James over here, and we'll get to him in a minute. But James and John are brothers. And again, most likely John is the youngest one. We know John, in the Bible we have a gospel called the Gospel of John. We think he wrote it. We also have three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John that we think he wrote, and the book of Revelation. So five books in our New Testament we think was written by this man, John. He also is called the beloved disciple. And that seems to reflect somehow Jesus and John have this friendship. Remember, Jesus is human as well as being divine. And that he and John have this special connection. And so John is the beloved disciple. Right in the middle is Jesus. We don't think Jesus looks European, and so we don't think this is an accurate painting. But what da Vinci's done here, which is really beautiful, is in the midst of the chaos, just like uh, Scott and Lisa Barry talked about, do you see the peace on Jesus' face? And that's because, you see, he's got one hand reaching out towards bread and one hand reaching out towards a cup. He's getting ready to inaugurate communion at the Last Supper. 
And we're told in Hebrews that Jesus' mind was not on all the pain he was going through, but the joy that was set before him. And so on his face, da Vinci has painted uh, Jesus looking forward to the fact that because of his death, burial, and resurrection, salvation is, not, is now possible, not just for these men, but for you and, us, you and I as well. Next to Jesus, we have Thomas. And if you look very carefully right here, Thomas has his finger up in the air. This is to represent the fact that he is the disciple who is not present when Jesus first appears after his resurrection and when the other disciples try to tell him, hey, look, we saw Jesus. Thomas says, I will not believe unless what? I can place my finger in his side and in his hands where the wounds are. And so Thomas is represented there. He unfortunately is known as Doubting Thomas. He struggles to believe. Now Thomas, we know, is going to, from church tradition, is going to end up being a missionary to India. This is why, if you know, there are people who might have, uh, be of Indian descent who have the last name Thomas. That's where it comes from. It's because we think very early on the Christian gospel got to India as a result of this man, Thomas, who even though he struggled with doubt, did believe, and God used him mightily. Next to Thomas, we have James. Now remember, James is uh, brothers with John. You can kind of see the family resemblance that da Vinci has painted there. But there's something very interesting about James and John. Jesus gives them a nickname. I love the fact that Jesus gave out nicknames. He sort of renamed Simon Peter. That's a nickname, but it's more of a, like a new name for him. But what you and I think of as a real nickname, something where you're kind of like jabbing at somebody a little bit, James and John get the nickname Sons of Thunder. That's what Jesus calls them. And he does so because they have volatile and tempestuous personalities. You can't see that with John, who looks very peaceful. But James, see the anger on his face? What do you mean? Someone's going to betray Jesus? Let's kill him right now. Let's get him. Sons of Thunder. James actually will be the first person in this group who's martyred for Jesus. Uh, and so in the book of Acts, he will give his life because he believes in Jesus. Next to James, we have Philip. Philip, uh, if you look on his face, I'm not exactly sure what da Vinci was painting here, but it does give the sense of uh, warmth and welcoming and mercy, which I think is exactly accurate. Philip is the one, when the little boy has his five loaves and two fish, he gives them to Philip. When Greeks show up uh, who are from out of town and they want to meet with Jesus, they go to Philip and say, could you make the introductions? At the uh, upper room in this, at this moment, Philip is the one that's going to say to Jesus, wait a second, you're leaving? Where are you going? We want to go with you. And there's this sense of mercy and hospitality and compassion that Philip is the one that when you look at the 12 and you're a little boy, you're like, which one should I go talk to? Philip is the, is the welcoming one. He's the one that seems safe. And Da Vinci's painted him that way. Next to Philip, we have Matthew. Uh, the Gospel of Matthew, the very first book in the New Testament, we believe that this man wrote. He's also known by Levi. He has two names. We heard his story a couple of weeks ago. He was a tax collector, meaning he was an outcast. Nobody in good society would eat with him. But here he is eating with Jesus because Jesus picked him for this job. 
Next to Matthew, we have Jude, which is different than Judas. He also, we believe, is called Thaddeus. And in the list we're going to look at, that is how he's called, Thaddeus. We don't know anything really about Thaddeus or Jude. Uh, But next to Jude is Simon. So two men named Simon, Simon who we normally call Peter, and this Simon uh, that we know of is Simon the Zealot. What that means is he's a revolutionary fighter. Okay, he is a freedom fighter. He is a guerrilla warfare sort of thing. His idea was he comes from a group of people that want to overthrow the Roman government by force. He was called out of that to come be a disciple, but I think it's interesting the way Da Vinci has painted this. Both Matthew and Jude are turned not towards Jesus, but to Simon. And I think that represents, if somebody's going to betray Jesus, I bet it's the zealot guy. I bet he's upset at the fact that we haven't had a revolution yet. And so both of them are turned to say, is it you? If it's not that, maybe they think, he's the kind of guy that would know this stuff. He's the kind of guy that would have that sort of information. So again, Da Vinci has painted two people looking at Simon to say, betrayal? You know about this stuff. Tell us, how's it supposed to work? Now what I love about this painting is, is that although this is not what they look like in real life, it does reflect these are real people. These are real people with real backgrounds, real stories, being called out of real situations to come and follow Jesus. So now we want to look at the story of their calling. And so if you don't have a Bible open yet, please take one. Uh, There should be a Bible in the rack in front of you. In these Bibles, it's Mark chapter 3, page 814. 814. We're going to look at the story of the calling of these 12 men. But what's most important is this is not a historical event. We're looking at this calling to understand something more about how Jesus calls people today. And the reason we want you to recognize that there are real people that were called in this story is because you and I are real people that Jesus is calling to come follow him today, and we want to understand something more about that. So Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 3, I'll begin reading in verse 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all about he was doing, when they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Keep going. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Here's the list. It's not in the order that Da Vinci painted them because Da Vinci wasn't painting this passage. He was painting the Last Supper. He appointed Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, 
To them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, that's their nickname. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus or Jude, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is the calling of these 12 men. And what I want you to notice first and foremost is the contrast between verses 7 through 12 and verses 13 through 19. In verses 7 through 12, Mark is telling us that Jesus is super popular. There are huge crowds who are following Jesus. We've been talking about the opposition, the Pharisees who are opposed to Jesus, but the people in general, they love Jesus. Jesus has shown up and he's teaching and he's preaching and he's healing people and he's casting out demons. And if you think like the last couple of weeks when we talked about new wine and new wineskins, if you thought that teaching was at all interesting, imagine being there when Jesus was teaching it. Imagine him being there teaching not just that but all sorts of things. People are showing up in droves by the hundreds and thousands to come hear this man. And he heals people at will and he can cast out demons. There are huge crowds of people that are gathered around Jesus. But the problem is, is that crowds are just crowds. They're spectators. They're like people who are attending a sporting event. They're there for a good show, and it is a good show. This is some of the best teaching you're ever going to hear. They're seeing miraculous things happen, stuff that they only read about in the Old Testament. Now it's happening right in front of them, and they've shown up for the show. But Jesus knows crowds aren't how you change the world. Crowds come and crowds go. Crowds are there if you're going to have good teaching and you're going to have good healing and you're going to have good preaching, but if you're going to ask somebody to suffer or you're going to ask somebody to sacrifice, crowds are going to go find somebody who's not going to ask them to do that. And so what's powerful is out of the crowds, Jesus calls 12 people. See, that's what it means to be a disciple. When we talk about apostles, we talk about disciples, what does it mean to be a disciple? How do you become a disciple? Jesus calls you out of the crowds. It's when he says to you, not audibly, but in your heart, are you ready to stop being a spectator? The show is good. I'm glad you're here. That's why I've done these things is so that you could see them. But at some point, it's not enough to sit in the seats and watch. At some point, it's necessary to join the game. At some point, it's necessary to become a follower. How does that happen? In the midst of the crowds, even like this crowd. Jesus calls to people. Verse 13, he called to him those he wanted, and they came. How do you become a disciple? How do you become like one of these 12? The exact same way. In the crowd, you hear his voice saying, come with me. Come join me. Come be part of what I'm doing. And if you respond, you become a disciple. Well, what does a disciple do? Three things. First, verse 14, he appointed 12 that they might be with him. What does it mean to be a disciple? It means you spend time with Jesus. 
There's a great story in Acts chapter 4. After Jesus is resurrected and ascends to heaven, Peter, you see him there, and John, they're sitting next to each other at dinner. They find themselves in the temple courts, and there is a man who is lame and a beggar. And he says to them, hey, can I have some money? Peter turns and looks right at him and says, I don't have any money. I don't have any silver. I don't have any gold. I got something a lot better than that, though. And he says to him, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And the man miraculously is healed and is able to stand up. And he is celebrating. And all the people, the crowds, gather around. They're like, the show is back on. And they gather around Peter and John. Well, meanwhile, the Pharisees, who didn't like Jesus when he did it, don't like people doing it in Jesus' name. So they drag Peter and John in uh, into the Sanhedrin, into the ruling council. And they say, hey, knock it off. We don't like those kind of crowds. We don't like those kind of miracles. And Peter replies in Acts chapter 4. Sorry, I can't get it to advance. Acts chapter 4. There we go. Thank you. Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now look at the response. When they, that's the leaders, saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were what? Unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and took note that these men had what? Been with Jesus. What qualifies someone to be a disciple? God calls you. How do you become a disciple? You simply spend time with Jesus. You know, we tend to think in modern context, okay, well, if you really want to be somebody who's going to follow Jesus, you got to take some classes, you got to go to seminary, you got to get a degree, you got to have some sort of professional qualifications. No, that is not true. In fact, some of those things actually make it harder to be a disciple. What is a disciple? A person who spends time with Jesus. And listen, the more time you spend with Jesus, the better a disciple of Jesus you are. That when you engage with Jesus in prayer, when you listen to Jesus' teaching in his word, when you meditate on what he says, when you spend time in the community of Jesus, you are a disciple, and that takes unschooled, ordinary people and causes them to do extraordinary things. Even those in opposition say, whoa, there's only one explanation. For where those two guys, the guy with the knife in his hand, the old guy and the young guy, how in the world did the two of them pull this off? They'd been with Jesus. What does it mean to be a disciple? You spend time with Jesus. The more time you spend with Jesus, the better disciple of Jesus you are. Number two, what does it mean to be a disciple? Verse 14, 
He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Being with Jesus, number one, is what makes a disciple. Number two, doing what Jesus did. Jesus has been preaching. Jesus has been driving out demons. Jesus has been healing people. Turn over, if you will, to Mark chapter 6. So just a page or so over. Mark chapter 6, verse 7. Calling the 12 to him. What 12? Those 12, right? Those guys right there. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. Jump down to verse 12. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. What are they doing? They're doing what Jesus did. What does it mean to be a disciple? It means that we go out and preach the same message that Jesus preached, which is, in Jesus there is forgiveness for all our sins, that Jesus died and was raised from the dead so that we could have eternal life, and that the kingdom of God has drawn near, and it's now possible to have eternal life in God. Same message. What does a disciple do? Proclaims that message. What does a disciple do? Does battle with the forces of darkness. Wearing spiritual armor. Announcing that in the name of Jesus, Satan, sin, and death do not have any power. What do disciples do? They heal. They pray for healing. They bring people to the elders to be healed. They help people experience emotional healing or physical healing or social healing. What do disciples do? Exactly what Jesus did. Preach, fight against the forces of evil, and bring healing to broken and destroyed lives. That's what these disciples did. Number three, what does it mean to be a disciple? It means to be with Jesus. It means to do what Jesus did. And number three, which is only implied in the passage, to be a disciple is to receive what Jesus receives. It's implied in this passage because he very clearly picks 12 people. Why? Why is he picking 12? Why not 13? Why not 11? Why not 28? Why 12? Well, he tells us in Matthew chapter 19. In Matthew chapter 19, there is a man who comes to Jesus. He's a rich young ruler. And Jesus says, come out of the crowds and come and be a disciple. The man decides that he would rather be rich and doesn't want to have to follow after Jesus. And so he says, no. Peter, this Peter, turns to Jesus and says, what about us? We did. We came out of the crowds and followed you. What do we get? And listen to what Jesus said. Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, that's for those 12. And, for all of us, everyone, meaning you and me, who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. 
But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. I imagine that in Mark chapter 3, when Jesus is calling these 12 men to come to him, that in the crowds that day, there were some who were financially well off. I imagine that there were some who were physically very beautiful. I imagine some that there were there who were incredibly successful in the world's eyes. I imagine some in the crowds, because this is a great show, it's the biggest thing going on in Judea, who wants to miss it? I imagine there are some there who are in positions of power and authority. I imagine there are some of the smartest people who have shown up to see this going on. Some of the brightest scholar-athletes are there in the crowd that day. Some who are first in the world's eyes. But among that group, it's these 12 who Jesus calls out. And Jesus says, and you will reign with me forever and ever. And the point is, anyone and everyone who comes out of the crowd to come follow Jesus, you have to leave something behind. You're going to leave your family you're sitting with you're going to leave the good seat you paid for. You're going to leave the popcorn bucket that you're enjoying the show while you're watching. You cannot come out of the crowd without leaving behind the seat that is nice and comfortable and warm and safe. And Jesus says, anybody who comes out of that crowd and comes down on this field, they will receive a hundred times as much of anything they've given up here and in the age to come, eternal life. What did these 12 receive? They received what Jesus receives, a kingdom, a very literal kingdom, an opportunity for eternal life to reign with Jesus forever and ever. Now the question for you and I today is, is this a history lesson? Or are you going to realize that today Jesus brought you to this place. It's not an accident that you're here. It's not an accident that you're here right now. And the reason he brought you, I don't know how you got here. I don't know what it is that he did this morning. You may have come here because a friend invited you. You may be here because you happen to wake up this morning and you're like, I think I'm going to try going to church today. You may feel like your life has fallen apart and didn't know where else to go. You may have been coming here for the last 50 years. I don't know why you're here, but I do know for a fact that Jesus brought you to be part of this crowd because he wants you to hear this morning the invitation, come, follow me. Jesus is still calling people out of the crowds. There are crowds here this morning. There will be crowds at football games this afternoon all over this country. There will be crowds all over this world watching all sorts of different kinds of shows. And into those crowds, Jesus is saying to you this morning, do you want something different? Do you want something other than being a spectator? Come be with me. Come do what I do and come receive what I am receiving, a kingdom that can never be shaken. And the question for you and the question for me today is, today, do you hear him calling you? You say, I don't hear any voice. Yes, you do. It happens to be mine. Amen. But in your heart, if you know that Jesus is the one calling to you, if you feel your heart beating faster, if you say, I think this is me, that's him. Listen, you can summarize this entire passage in one phrase. He called, and they came. 
And if today you hear his voice, maybe you have never come out of the crowds. Today, if you hear his voice and you respond, you will be a disciple. Maybe you came out of the crowds a long time ago and you slowly have faded back into the crowds and you decided, this game's kind of hard. I want to go back to my seat up in the stands. I don't want to be part of this anymore. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Come join the game. Maybe you're in the game, but you're more on the sidelines or you're not a featured player or you're not really involved. The more time you spend with Jesus, the more of a disciple you're going to be. And so the question for each one of us today, these 12 men, some older, some younger, some intellectually questioning, some doubting, some impetuous, some volatile, some young, some merciful, some meek, some that go on to do things that we know all about, some we never hear from again. These 12 heard the call and responded. And the question is, what about you? And what about me? Let's pray together. Lord, in your mercy, right now, would you call? Uh, I've done what I can do, Lord. I've set the table and said what I thought you wanted me to say. But now, Lord Jesus, through your Holy Spirit, you have to call people. You have to call people into the game. You've got to call them out of the crowds. You've got to let them know that you are the one who's summoning them. And Lord, I pray that when they hear your voice, they would respond in faith. Do this for your glory. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.